Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Peter Switzer, I'm joined by my colleague Paul Ricardo. Paul. Good afternoon, Peter. Now, Paul, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've been trolled. They're trolling me on Twitter. Well, Peter, you've become a bit of a Twitter superstar because you're being a bit controversial. In fact, you're one of the only people standing up to all these. I don't know, people are so bearish and negative about the home loan market. Yeah. I, I can't believe how many people want to preach doom and gloom. Excessive yeah, it's, doom and gloom. It is excessive. Yeah. I mean, markets go up and down, but um, this idea that the housing market in Sydney, Melbourne, is about to collapse or is collapsing yeah. and, hey, run for the exit. Does, I don't know. Interesting, the cheerleaders seem to be some of the media. I mean, I can't understand the Fairfax yeah, Press. I, I can't understand the ABC. Yeah, I, th I think in many ways it's a bit like that Bob Dylan song, Hurricane, you know, where he said, and the media, they went along for the ride. I, th I think they are actually being driven by uh, um, a whole lot of people out there who really do think that, you know, all bubbles burst. And so the supposition is that we've been in a bubble rather than just a boom. And maybe that could, could be the case. But the, the simple, I think the simple argument I put forward is, well, look, um, all the places where, and one, one of the tweeters, who I, I won't call tweets, one of the tweeters actually said to me, uh, Spain, Ireland, Iceland, the USA, all these countries, they thought they were like Australians as well, that it could never happen here. But as I started pondering what, what happened during the GFC, it, the penny dropped. All those places had a substantial recession. And so it's understandable. Now, if you think Australia's heading for a recession, you're totally at odds with the Reserve Bank, who said last week 3.75%, 3.75% over the next two years, and the unemployment goes under, down to 4.75%. And um, as we now call him, Dr. What you, he's even more, Dr. Phil's more. He's more Phil. Yeah. More bullish than you, Peter. I mean, uh, no, no, it's extraordinary. So, I love uh, the guy. I love the guy. But look, I, I remember writing an articles here on Switzer Daily about five years ago, calling out the housing market and saying I thought it had upside yeah. because you know clearance rates were really high and there wasn't anything on the radar and there was no construction. And at that time, some of these same people were were but calling. And saying the market is overvalued and about to fall. They couldn't see the signs. Now, the market's turned around. We've had four years of strong growth, yeah. and we've had a 12 months of, of some negative growth. But that's what typically happens. So I think that's really interesting. One thing I will just say, because I know we're going to talk about that again first, but yeah. uh, we've also got some questions later, a lot of questions about the uh, the buybacks coming up. Yeah. I think the whole Bill Shorten negative gearing, <laughs> yeah. Tax refunds, it's so controversial. And I've found a lot of people don't really know the implications of it, Paul. Yeah. So, we, so you and I are going to have, have a, a real good chinwag about what okay. Bill wants to do and what are the likely implications. But, but one thing I will say, which I think is, is going to provide support for all these markets, is, is shareholders are getting a truckload of money over the next month or two. We've good got point. three big dividends from each of the major banks. Yeah. We've got the Rio buyback about to people get their money 
Mm. Uh, in, a couple, in a couple of weeks' time, the BHP buyback in December. There's a lot of money coming back to shareholders. It probably and, and will. That, that, a lot of that will find its way back into yeah. markets. It'll may, underwrite the Santa Claus rally. It may end, hope. Yep. So let's talk about that as well if we've got time. Okay. Right. So the guest today will be Tim Lawless from Core Logic. I want some logic put into this argument. So at the moment, I am being trolled by people on the Twitter sphere. I guess those people I would call twits, purely because I just don't think that the claim that house prices are going to fall by 40% is realistic. I can see maybe 15 to 20% if particularly if banks don't keep on lending and we've got maybe Bill Shorten's negative gearing policies, you know, spook the market. But 40%, that's huge. That I think you'd have to have a recession. But to try and clear it up, we've got a guy who looks at house prices all the time. You'd have to call him an expert on house prices. It's Tim Lawless from CoreLogic. Tim, thanks for joining us. No problems, Peter. G'day. Okay, mate. So uh, let's just start off from the, the, the bottom line. Do you think house prices in Sydney and Melbourne across the cities are going to fall by 40%? I guess the short answer is no, but, but if we did see values falling by that much, it means that something has imploded. You know, we would have to see uh, some sort of severe economic shock for, for things to happen. I mean, to put that into context, look at a market that has been in a, in a fairly intent, entrenched decline, and that's Perth. Perth's been falling uh, for nearly two years now, or actually more than two years. Values are down by 14%, and this is in a market that's, that, that has had very tough economic conditions where the, the migration rates have, have been in, in a net major material outflow from the state. It's where, you know, following the mining boom, we've seen uh, uh, demand for housing has dried up uh, substantially. And even in, in that sense, values have only fallen by 14%. Um, a smaller market like Darwin, values are down by about 22%. And that's a market that's obviously mm. even less di- diversified. But Tim, these markets, like I, I can remember reporting on Perth, they had a couple of years where they went up, what, 25% a year, didn't they? Or am yeah, I so, exaggerating? So Perth, no, no, Perth back in 2006, the peak rate of annual growth back in 2006 in Perth was a little bit higher than 40%. Oh. So it was more than 40% in one year. Yeah. So clearly, uh, we talk about Sydney being, was in, a, in an unsustainable growth phase. Uh, Perth was up, yeah, more more than forty percent in the space of a year, and obviously that that uh, that that growth trend continued on to two thousand fourteen, interrupted mm. by the GFC, of course. Yeah, but uh, yeah, clearly very different conditions. And Tim, tell me back, um, just go back in the sort of the history of Sydney and Melbourne. One of the things that Peter and I have always always said is that when we've looked at these markets historically, they have three or four years of really good times, and which is what we've seen in Sydney and Melbourne. We've just got it. You know, prices fly up about eighty percent. Then they tend to go flat for longer periods, and they sort of drift back about ten to fifteen percent. But nothing much happens. Is that you're, you're a man who knows the data? Is that sort of a reasonable summation of what's happened to the Sydney and Melbourne markets historically? Well, if we go through the last couple of downturns in in Sydney, so so the last time we really saw dwelling values falling uh, um, over some length of time was back between 2010 and 2012. Uh, and they fell by 3.4%. So a really mild, very shallow downturn. The most substantial downturn we've seen in Sydney uh, uh, across the length of our data, which goes back to the early 80s, was actually between uh, uh, 1989 and 2001. And that's when values fell by 10%. They're down by 9 And that was a recession, wasn't it? That was a recession. But there was a recession, yeah. Mm. That was a recession. They were down by 10%. It 
it took tw- uh, 24 months for the market to bottom out. Um, I think we'll probably see Sydney actually fall uh, more than, than that previous record low. So I think Sydney values will fall by more than 10%, uh, potentially even as much as, say, 15%. And as Peter said, you know, getting up to 20%, I mean, that's, that's a fairly material downturn. But beyond that, I think uh, uh, things would really have to, to, to be quite um, uh, dramatic. And it's not, of course, uh, I mean, commentators like us, and I guess the media make the mistake of thinking that property is homogeneous, and of course it's not. And it's not one market. In fact, we've got houses, units, we've got so many different suburbs, we've got different components of the market. Which areas of the market are doing it relatively better in Sydney and Melbourne, and which areas are, are doing worse? Well, there's a couple of ways we can divide the market up uh, on performance. So, so one way is to look at uh, the different valuation cohorts. So you know, we, we can clearly see the more expensive end of the marketplace, the top quartile, is showing much weaker conditions. Right. So mm-hmm. we've seen values across that top 25% of the, percent of the market down, much more than, than the more affordable end of the market. I think that's the effect of first-home buyers helping the boy demand across those more affordable price points as well as the fact that lenders are really focusing now on, on minimising their exposure to high debt-to-income ratios, which is probably skewing demand towards that middle to lower end of the market as well. Geographically, it's it's really clear that markets like the Central Coast, even though values are just slipping a little bit lower now, they've been very resilient to falls. So uh, this is the Central uh, Coast in New South Wales? <laughs> yeah, yep. Gosford, mm-hmm. Wyoming, yep. that, that, that market. Um, uh, also, we've seen the Outer West, of Sydney uh, uh, not showing as much decline as well. Once again, you know, two markets that are very affordable and then very popular with uh, with first home buyers. And outside of Sydney, we've seen a real ripple of demand moving into markets like the Hunter, so around Newcastle, down to the Gong. But, but those markets are showing a few cracks now as well, but, but certainly not as much as what we're seeing around some of those more affluent uh, suburbs. And, and what about Melbourne? Um... Melbourne's uh, really similar. In fact, those those trends of uh, say um, uh, the high quartile versus the low quartile are even more exemplified. We're still seeing values rising across the the most affordable twenty five percent of Melbourne's housing market, and I think uh, that's probably partly explained by the same thing as Sydney that the first home buyers have really surged back into the market, taking advantage of stamp duty concessions. But also, we, we're seeing much stronger migration trends uh, across Victoria, which I think that, that strong flow of both interstate migration and overseas migration is really fueling housing demand in those, uh, those more affordable markets. Yeah, Tim, I, I know the, the Paddington market in Sydney very well because I've, I've lived there for a long time so, and I've owned terraces and things like that. So I've watched the, the, the course of the price increases and, and a typical terrace in a good street has been, been selling for a bit over $3 million and, and it seemed to me that that was probably but it's three point two is probably out on the on the top, and 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 now these people are finding it harder to sell because they they wanted three point two, but the market kind of wants to pay two point nine or two point eight, but even if it fell five hundred thousand dollars, that will still only be a sixteen percent fall, and I reckon that if 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 a three million dollar terrace went to two and a half million, there would be there be a, like a dull queue of people wanting to buy it. Yeah, when you have markets that are, you know, Paddington's a great example of a market that's it's always going to have uh, strong demand, uh, both just organic demand as well as a lot of people would aspire to, to live in a market or buy into a market like Paddington. Same with the eastern suburbs, those sort of areas as well. So I think we'll, you know, even though we may see prices dip, as you say, by, by say 15%, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's against a, a, quite a significant run-up in values. You've got to remember that 
you know, those higher end markets in Sydney were also the markets that generally drove the strongest capital gains in the upswing. Yep. Uh, a lot of equity is, has been accrued in those markets, and I think it's really only those buyers that have bought in the last 18 months or so that will be sitting on a property that's probably worth less now than what they paid for it. Yep. I also noticed, mate, when I looked at the charts, that in 1985, when uh, Paul Keating introduced negative gearing changes and basically quarantined them or killed them for a while, house prices fell pretty substantially then too. Yeah, so a lot of people are looking back at that period. I mean, it's the only real... Uh, reference point, I suppose, for what may happen when negative gearing, uh, uh, if negative gearing rules are changed. Mm. The, the reality is, though, it was such a brief period in time, and uh, you know, to try to get any sort of sense as to, well, um, will we see rents rise materially, for example? Mm. Rents are generally a really slow-moving beast. They uh, they take a long time to, to respond to changes in supply. It doesn't happen Instantly, and, and the fact that we only saw those changes in negative gearing for a little bit more than a year, just it is too short a window, I think, to get any okay. real clue on, on how it might impact on the market. And one other question, um, Tim, we, you know, uh, looking back in history, I just you know, I think I've asked the guys at BIS Oxford Economics as well. When was the last time Australia, as a country, had a massive fall in house prices? I would have thought. Would have been the Great Depression. I, from what I can see, it was more like the 1895 Depression. But what's your take on this? Yeah, it's it's pretty much back in that uh, that, that that early 90s period, late late 80s, early 90s, uh, around the last recession. And, but even back then, the national fall in, in dwelling values was only around six or seven percent. Uh, we did see city values fall a bit more than, than that, as I, as I explained before. Um, but but, but in saying that, that, there's plenty of periods where we have seen you know, up, upswings in the housing market are generally followed by some level of downturn. The most mm. recent period was late 2010 through to early 2012, and that was when interest rates were rising. A lot of the stimulus from the GFC was removed. Um, prior to that, it was a GFC, and that was very much economic fueled. And, and prior to that, it was between sort of 2004 and 2006. Mm. We generally saw values falling as well. And once again, that was when interest rates were rising. And that's the normal catalyst that dictates housing market cycles oh, yeah. in Australia is changes in monetary policy yeah. uh, or an economic shock. That's and why what, this downturn is very and, and what about the potential impact of changes to negative gearing? Do you think it will um, add impetus to the downfall of prices? Well, I think when you, when you take an incentive out of the market, uh, I think it, it's, it's reasonable to expect that's going to have a negative impact overall. Uh, so I think if we do see negative gearing changes, I mean, in line with that as well, capital gains tax changes. Also, that the two the two of those uh, I think will have a negative impact on the market. Um, how long is it going to last? I mean, it's that it's that period of transition I think that, that will be the most difficult to manage. Long term, um, removing negative gearing, you, you probably expect there's going to be some upwards pressure on rents that's going to start to see, and some downwards pressure on prices. Mm. Long term, that should see yields improve because yields. I think anybody could argue that yields in Australia are unhealthily low, yeah, very low, and maybe one of the reasons for that is because you can offset your, your cash flow losses. Mm. So, potentially, long term, uh, that transition period may result in in much stronger yield profiles across Australia as investors look for. So yeah. renters must be the most must might be the most impacted. I think Tim, yeah. is what you suggested. Yeah. Well, Tim, thanks very much for, for putting a bit of rational price analysis into this very heated debate.
Well, good, good luck on, on Twitter and the trolling. <laughs> okay, I'm barring a few people at the moment. So that's Tim Lawless from Core Logic. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks very much. And now, a word from our sponsors. If you're interested in growing your investment income without taking too much risk for you, we've got just the event for you. The Switzer Income Conference will bring together some of the smartest finance minds in the country and is coming to Melbourne on November 27 and Sydney on November 29. The expert presenters will be revealing how they invest for income, their views on the current markets and the opportunities they see at home and abroad. As a podcast subscriber, we'd love you to come along as our guest. To get our free tickets, just go to www.switzer.com.au slash event, choose the event you'd like to attend, and enter the promotion code POD on checkout. We look forward to seeing you there. All right, Paul, we uh, talked earlier in the program about some of the substantial changes that Labor has the courage to introduce. And a lot of people, I think some people would like that. Obviously, Labor wouldn't be doing it unless they thought it would like. But a lot of investors, I think, would be very worried and retirees as well. So let's start off with the retirees and the tax refund issue first. Just explain what's going on, Paul. Yeah, but I don't think there's anyone really going to be liking it because a lot of people don't understand it. But I guess that those who are impacted by it don't like it. Mm. And this is a change to uh, the dividend imputation system. At the moment, if you have excess franking credits, that's after you've applied them to offset any other tax you've got, um, they're currently refundable. So you get a check back from the Australian tax Is this for retirees in zero? And particularly retirees who have got uh, money in the super fund in the pension phase paying tax at that magical rate of 0%. Yep. They get it. They get a dividend. Uh, they don't have any tax to pay, so the franking credits are fully refundable and they get mm. cash back. Yep. And under the change for the Labor Party, they won't get the refund anymore. Mm. Yep. So that is yep. that is the essence of the change. Yep. Simply, you, you don't get a refund anymore. Yeah, and so, so uh, I guess there are... There are very wealthy people who are really doing well out of this, but there's there's probably a lot of retirees on maybe fifty or sixty grand a year, of which they might be getting a ten or twenty thousand dollar refund, which is it's a really important chunk of their retirement income, and they would have bought stocks to get that refund, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's right, Peter. I mean, let's say for example, I mean, there are, sure there are always that handful of people getting millions of dollars back, but ninety nine percent aren't getting millions yeah. of dollars. Let's, let's let's take a typical example, and there's lots of people in this, this situation, Peter. They might have a million dollars in in super. Yep. They're getting say a yield of about five percent. That's 50, probably yeah, about fifty thousand dollars in cash. Mm. Yep. If 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 a fair chunk of that is invested in shares and a lot of Mums and dads with pension funds, of course, are the banks and Telstra and those sort of things. Yep. They'd be also be getting uh, franking credits of about $21,000. So they were living on seventy. dollars Yeah, so they're getting about $70,000 in income. Yep. Under this change, they'll still get the 50000 yep. but they won't get the check back for twenty. So yep. their income goes from 70000 to 50000 yep. That's a pretty big change but, for someone living. Yeah. Um, big change. Big change. But poor, but- there are a lot of people without a million. There are a lot of people with half a million. So that we basically have those figures. So those people are living on about thirty-five thousand a year. They're really going to miss their their refund as well, aren't they? Substantially. But they are. I mean, the, 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 to be fair to um, Bill Shorten, he has announced some exemptions. Yeah. So and if you're on a pension, do you get? So the- if if you're currently getting a government part pension, you'll yeah. still be able to get your 
franking credit refunds. Okay, so if someone's so, getting 35000 a year, well, are they getting a part pension, do you think? Yeah, probably. Get I mean, close, it, it's they? pretty close. So, yeah. look, at if, if they're um, – I mean, the assets test is around about a million dollars. It depends whether they're single or couple. Yeah. It's a little more – Outside of super. Yeah, outside of super. That, that includes super. Yeah. So, um, so, but you're yeah. right, Peter. So, look, they're – a person has just got half a million dollars in super is 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 single or it's a, a you know a couple they're probably going to continue to get the refund mm. but you know by and large you know I won't say wealthy but you know self-funded retirees running their own self-funded super fund who've saved hard and taken the view that they don't want the government look after them. they yeah, don't want the government, government they actually want to be independent they've actually want to you know many would argue they didn't spend their money they haven't wasted it you know taking big trips overseas mm. or you they followed the rules, haven't they? They followed the rules, did what the government told them to do, which was actually, you know, you should take be responsible for what happens to you when you retire and prepare yep. for it. So they followed all the rules. They would say they're now going to have an income shock in retirement that they hadn't planned for. And yeah. that's why there's so much angst about it, Peter. Yeah, and I, I wrote a piece um, saying that yeah, those sort of people should really get their family together and say, well, if this happens, we will probably spend all our money and there's anything left over. We might have to even sell the house to make sure we live because a lot of people are living into their 80s now, probably. Well, not just their 80s, Peter. I mean, <laughs> I, think you've got th- I think if you see a client these days in their 60s and they're in reasonable health, you, you talk about living to your mid-90s because yeah. that's what the data says. So True. you've got to plan for that. Um, so, look, um, yeah, a, a big shock. Now, of course, I, I suppose there's a couple other things to get out on the table. Hmm. It doesn't come into effect till the f- if he gets elected, that is. Uh, it doesn't come into effect till the 1st of July 2019. Yep. So any dividends you get in this current year are going to be okay. Yep. You still get be able to get the uh, the excess credits could still be refunded. Um, and, and and secondly, you know, there's probably still some chance. I suppose the chances of him not being elected now are looking less likely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but he's going to have to legislate it. And uh, you know what happens with Senate and cross-bench Senate yeah. and, and the rest of it. And there still could be some change. So we're assuming what he's announced is actually going to become law. Yeah. And I'd say there's still some degree that a probable chance that that yeah. won't happen. I, I suspect, Paul, there'll be a capping in there. For, for certain people, you might find a, a refund of 20000 yeah. or 25000 might be the, the maximum. And that would capture those people who I think – Look, seventy thousand for a couple is not live, living the life. I, of I, thought, I, I looked at my budget, Peter. I could live on seventy thousand yeah. retirement yeah. as a couple, and, and, yeah, and you don't live the life of Riley either. Yeah, I don't live the life of Riley. So, <laughs> yeah. look, I, I think uh, I, I think a cap's a good idea because yeah. look, the system was never designed for someone to get millions of dollars back. But yeah. to be honest, there's only a handful, yeah. and, and most people who are impacted by this change are mm. of, of the ilk that we described then, yeah. and. Uh, have done a lot of work to be frugal and plan for retirement, and they've budgeted for this, right? They've bought investments on this basis, yeah. and now the rules change. Okay, let's go to the other big change, and that's negative gearing. Mm-hmm. And so let, let me um, just summarise it. If I miss something, pick me up, but I want you to explain the implications of it, Paul. So, so if, basically, anyone who's got an investment property that's negatively geared, it's grandfathered, they can keep on doing it, they can keep on getting the tax deductions. Negative gearing going forward will be only on new properties, mm-hmm. right? And but the, when you come to sell either the grandfathered property or a new property, they will all be existing properties. So any new buyer will not be able to use negative gearing on these properties. And therefore, my argument is that 
probably less people will turn up to buy your house because investors can't actually negative gear it. Is that a fairly yeah, no, original that, that's, that's sort of the way it works. And, the, and actually how it transitions is really tricky because the first reaction is there could be a, what I describe as a bit of a seller's strike because these mm. people have already got grandfathered properties. They may not want to sell. Yeah. But there may also be a bit of a buyer's strike because the investors say, I'm not going to invest in this market because yeah. I don't get negative gear anymore. I'm going to wait. I think the market's going to go south first. So yeah. you could always get a bit of a Mexican standoff. So that so could actually add to the house price it concerns, could. couldn't it? It could actually add to the concerns. I mean, longer term, I, mean, I think most of the data says it's probably a negative for, for, for home loan prices simply because you're going to reduce – there are going to be less people ready to invest. Yeah. Right? We'll probably put less yep. financial planning yep. clients into investment that's properties right. and we'll probably be looking at shares or yeah. something. And you might argue, you know, people at home might argue that's a good thing because that might in the long term make housing, help improve housing affordability for yep. the younger people. So, you know, that, that could be a good thing longer term, yep. but, the, but likely to be, you know, long term, a negative factor in the market. But how it actually applies and transitions. So, you know, again, we don't know when this is going to start. It's from a date to be determined. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so does that mean they get elected and suddenly we have a rush of people to buy properties in a couple of weeks before they legislate it because this is the last chance to get in? That could easily right? happen. So th there are some transition impacts here that I think, by and large, when you have uncertainty, it's normally bad for markets. Mm. And my guess is it's going to be as they, they have to – when they haven't – been really clear about how it all comes into play, mm. I think it's going to be a negative out there. Yeah, so. and Paul, I would have thought that there would be some people thinking, all the people who fear they can't get a good price on their house, their investment property in the future, they might think before Bill wins the election, mm. good. sell it now, yep. and the people who buy it think, well, I, I will be able to have negative gearing all the way through. So they might be buyers. So there could be a rush of properties put on the market, but we don't know whether people will buy them or not. It, it could be really a, a tumultuous experience yeah. for the real estate market. And, you know, again, like all these things, there's always a bit of detail to be worked out. So Devil in the detail. And, and they've said, for, take you this simple example, they've said that you continue to be able to negatively gear for new properties, yeah. right? So that sounds okay. That means that new property market's not going to fall in a hole. Yeah. yeah. But does that mean you land or just or or land at home or just yeah. home? And if you're buying land, how long can you you hold it before you have to build on it? And all those sort of rules, you know, yeah. have to be worked through. So it's uh, as we see with any change to tax law, and this is a big change. Yeah. Um, there will be a lot of detail that will have to be uh, worked through and thought through carefully. So mm. I think it's net net a negative mm. and. The transition impacts I'm probably most worried about. Well, it's interesting. I talked to one of the, the biggest developers in the country, and I said to him, you know, what, what percentage of your purchases are investors? And he said, um, it, it, on the really big complexes, 80% will be investors. Now, all right, he's building new stuff, but he said that the, the typical person who buys his stuff will buy it for five years for tax deduction reasons and then they sell them mm. to either to another investor or to someone who wants to actually live in them properties. They're quite high end. That could be really difficult for, for a guy like him because, you know, the, the, the interest in buying a new property could be really low and that could be a real challenge for a lot of um, builders out there. Yeah, I mean, well, I think also we've got to also see how this plays out politically and what pressure comes on because mm. despite, you know, the op Liberal Party looking like they're done and dusted. I mean, uh, 
This issue has still got the potential to, uh, if, if Morris and his team know how to market it, market yeah. and exploit it, uh, it still could be a big one out there. So yeah. I, I don't think any of these changes, including dividend imputation, um, lay down miseries yet. I think there's a long way to go between announcement of policy, election, and then legislation. All right, Paul, some people negatively gear shares. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be affected? Well, that's again, that's a tricky one, Peter, because we've seen mixed Signals on that one, mm. uh, you know, because margin lending, that's for many cases not always negatively geared. Mm. Uh, I think, as I understand it, Peter, that there's some crazy idea that you can negatively gear. So you'll be grandfathered whatever you've got. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we, think we, we think we know that part. But then again, we think we understand that you'll be able to borrow to invest in, and, and claim a tax deduction to buy shares being issued for the first time. New properties, new yeah. shares. Yeah. But you won't be able to buy them for secondary market shares. So that I mean, could hurt the market. That could hurt the market. So mm. look, uh, and again, it's uh, for someone from um, Bill Shorten or Chris Bowen's team listening. We'd love to find we'd out. Love to find out just exactly to how it's going to work. These yeah. guys get very quiet when this stuff uh, gets yeah. a bit. All the detail, it's, they get very vague. On now, this one stuff. quick one. I'm going to be the wind mm. up, Paul. Uh, the capital gains yeah, discount. This, this, is, about that, this is a bigger issue, I think, than arguably both of those two for many people. And of course, currently. Uh, if you own an asset for more than 12 months and you're, it's, it's an individual. Property uh, or a share. Yeah, or property whatever. or a share or a piece of art or whatever it is. Uh, if provided you've held the asset for more than 12 months, you get a 50% discount on the gain. When you sell it. Yeah. The reason that came in because of, the, people forget the history of this. And the, when capital gains tax was first introduced by Paul Keating, you used to be out of what was called index your cost base. That is... you. The gain wasn't was meant to be paid on the real gain, not yep. after you'd taken account the cost of inflation. Mm. So what we used to do back when you introduced it in nineteen eighty five yes. is we used, used to keep track of the index cost base. So if you bought something for a hundred thousand dollars, you'd multiply it by the CPI index each year. So after the first year it'd be worth one hundred and two thousand yep. dollars and then two percent inflation. Yeah, yeah another two percent worth one hundred and four thousand and twenty seven dollars. And you'd have to keep track of that. Mm. And then Costello, to his credit, simplified that and said, oh, hang on, this is all too hard. Mm. We'll get rid of all this indexation stuff because no one could keep track of the stuff. They'll just give you this 50% discount. That's why the idea holder for more than 12 months, it's an investment, Mm. you've got a 50% discount. Labor Party is proposing to change that discount back to just 25%. Mm. So it's a big cut. Yeah. And that's going to make holding assets and investing in assets that less attractive. So, Especially big uh, share portfolios yep. or big and, houses. And big property portfolios. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's even small portfolios. So, yeah. you know, again, investors are going to think pretty hard about investing in uh, mm. in things like property. Well, Paul, what are we going to try and do for this radio podcast is get one of the Labor Party people. I'd love to get Chris Bowen. Uh, I've, I've got along with Chris in the past. He probably hasn't liked some of the stories I've written, but we've got to get someone to, to explain yeah. the, the pros and cons. And they're going to be more and more questions. The closer we get to election date and the yeah. more people, you know, look at, look at the polls and say, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, ScoMo, but it was a nice knowing you for a few months. Uh, the more worried they're going to get about this. Yeah, property is going to be a big story before the election. Okay, so that's um, Paul and my look at the uh, the Bill Shorten policies, and I say we look forward to a Labor person coming on the program and giving setting us right in case. Setting, we're... I'd love to be corrected about yeah. the, about the shares, in particular, yeah, Peter, because doubt. there's contradictory stuff out there. Without a doubt. Okay, let's have a little word from our sponsor. And now. A word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. 
That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Okay, we're back. We want to answer a few quick questions uh, for our listeners. Paul, the first one is, uh, uh, there's a a question about BHP uh, buyback. Do you want to quickly just cover that, Paul? Yeah, so this this question relates to will it be impacted by the the Labor Party's change? So we've had Rio's buyback has just closed last week. In fact, uh, very well supported. Uh, They raised, they bought back something like uh, more than $2 billion worth of shares. And there was a big scale back, about a 43%. Uh, you only got about 43% of what you applied for. Uh, the, and BHP's announced a 7.2 USB and dollar buyback, which is even bigger mm. and even better. And this one is opens, uh, I think it opens next Monday. And uh, it'll be uh, details, it'll close just before Christmas. But the question that I think that came is, will they be impacted um, by the Labor Party's change? And the answer is not this, these ones, because... Mm. They've said it's any dividend paid in this current financial year, mm. 17, 18, 18, 19 will be okay. The change will come in from the 1st of July, 2019. Okay, this one's so, done. All right. Yep, yep. Next one here, this one comes from Jeff. I would like thoughts on Wham. Is it trading around uh, $2.35? Um, it's not normally a stock that drifts around too much, especially around dividend time, especially downwards. I'm a long-term holder of Wham. Yeah, so this is Jeff Wilson's, uh, as in Wilson Asset Management. Wham's been spectacularly successful, as is uh, Jeff Wilson in terms of the money he manages. And mm. Wham is the, is the stock code. Yep. Uh, and uh, I, this also relates to the story we've just been talking about, Peter, because uh, I think what Jeff's talking about is that, is that if, for example, the change around um, dividend imputation goes ahead, not only will sort of bank shares and Telstra potentially be impacted, but also say will bank hybrid shares because mm. they pay a fully frank dividend and, so, and a lot of people who buy bank hybrids are also uh, retirees. And also will some of these listed investment companies, particularly those trading at a premium, that is like Jeff's one, like Jeff's one, like they're worth a lot more, where they change hands in the market mm. is what they're actually worth if they were just liquidated tomorrow. Mm. And... Uh, and, and and you'll see that Jeff Wilson's been doing a lot of work about yes. campaigning against this because he yes. understands this is going to make his particular list of investment companies a lot less attractive. So I've warned about this before. If you're worried about banks, you should be even more worried about um, licks or listed investment companies trading at a premium because there are no, at the end of the day, there's only a finite number of buyers. There's no institutional support in these stocks. If mm. the buyers say, I don't want to buy it because of the, I don't get the, the, the short, and price, yep. short and change, you can see the the premium go pretty quickly. So okay. I think uh, it's overpriced. Great manager. Mm. Give him his views, but um, I would yeah, This is a curveball for Jeff, and that's why he's pretty cranky Jeff, about yeah. Another question here is I'm looking to – and this is from uh, – I've got a name on this one. Hi, Paul. He's the person says it anyway. I'm looking to invest in an ETF called HACK, H-A-C-K. I noticed that over the last nine months, the amount of shares on issue have increased from 10 million to 18 million. Yep. Uh, surely this must be diluting the share price and the dividends. Can you give me your thoughts? Yes, yeah, so HACK's an ETF that invests in uh, cybersecurity firms. Yeah. We've had uh, uh, the guys on to talk about HACK, uh, not on this program, but they've come to one of our conferences, Peter. Yep. And uh, look, very interesting because they're the only ones in the market that are really offering the way to invest in. Yeah. It's a big issue, isn't what, it? What some Cyber people say is that one of the fastest growing industries in the world, how do you protect data? How, mm-hmm. do, how do corporates and people protect their systems from the hackers and all the rest of it? Yeah. 
So it's an ETF that invests it's an, it's in companies involved in this industry. And like most ETFs, the point here is what we call open-ended. So uh, the way that ETFs operate is that when investors go to the market and buy units in the, in the, in the, in the, on the ASX, mm. more often than not, those units have been created. And so the size of the ETF goes up as more and more 10 million buy. to 18 yep. million. And so what he's worried about, well, does this mean as an investor mm. that if it keeps on going up, does that mean I'm sort of, he's worried about am I being diluted yeah. and the rest of it? And the answer is no, not really, because no. they just buy more of the companies yeah. they want to invest in. Yeah. So the only reason you'd really have a problem is if you thought their investable universe, mm. in other words, they were getting so big, mm. they simply couldn't find the companies to invest in. Yeah, and, and the thing is this, Paul, if you say had a an ETF that purely bought the banks and lots of money came into it, they're forced to buy the banks. It drives the share price up and it drives the unit price up too. And, and that's arguably, if you often look at the reports about the US market, they sometimes don't even talk about the stocks. They talk about the ETF was down this or up yeah, this. Right. Because in many cases, that's exactly what's happening in the US. Mm. So, look, I think in this case, uh, HACK is the uh, ASX code. It's an ETF. Yeah, it's an ETF worth looking at because of what it invests in. But it's it's this point in time. It's not that big. It's yeah. getting bigger, but it's a long way from from, from being the situation where it's too big yeah. that it can't find the. As Bernie Fraser might say, it's an ETF of the future. Okay, so I'll let that pun go. Okay. That's yours. Well done, Paul. That's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week, and let's hope we get a Labor guy on to explain Bill's policies to us. Thank you.